Today's episode, we're going to talk about spy terms and spy terminology. I often get questions asked about this. Which ones come from books and movies are real? Which ones are not? What's made up from a comic book even? Which ones matter? Do we even care what they are? Some of these are widely misunderstood. Some I had to look up and see what they were because they've changed or I wasn't familiar with them. Some even have a completely different meaning when people realize. So spy terms and spy terminologies. Mostly for our entertainment value, which ones of these are real and what do they really mean? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. So the lingo in terms of a spy actually aren't universal. There's quite a few that are different. Some just because the way a language is spoken, it sounds like a different word. And some are only specific to certain countries. I made a list here and took some notes. I actually found a few definitions, ones I had to look up. But to understand what they are, one that I don't think gets used enough in movies, which I don't know how much it's really used anymore, at least part of it is called pocket litter. Basically things that you carry in your pockets, kind of where the idea comes from. So real pocket litter, some people think it's like you carry a matchbook or a movie stub or a receipt from a restaurant to show that you were somewhere, and that can be definitely true. Those can be useful things. That's not only what those are used for, but pocket litter is really the things that you have on you to establish your cover. So in movies and TV shows like with cops, and maybe this is really what they call it, they call it being undercover. In the Intel world, it's not called being undercover. I think some people probably say that. It's just called being cover or cover status. And then they call it your cover legend. Like you probably heard the term legend. There was even a TV show, I think, called Legend that had to do with that. It's basically your backstory, all your identification, everything you're trying to live or purport yourself to be in order to accomplish your mission. So pocket later doesn't have to be something necessarily in your pocket. It could be as simple as if you're a student at a university and that is your cover, your pocket later could be the student ID card and the library card maybe some books. It's just known obvious things that you should have on you, a lot of which anymore will be some form of ID that establishes your cover and says this is definitely who you are. We just don't see the term pocket litter used a lot, but understanding that you can realize it's probably been used in a lot of movies and TV shows. Another one I was asked about once was something that they said I heard of something called disguise on the run. So back in the day, and I'm not sure how long ago this was, the places like CIA weren't too big into using disguises. In fact, they kind of thought it was stupid, which was weird because they, to a certain degree, were kind of using them. But they thought the whole idea of, you know, not just whether or not you're wearing a suit, but changing your appearance, your age, you know, facial features, they thought that was all kind of Hollywood garbage. And there was some dude that showed some examples of it, and they called it a disguise on the run. What it's called now, basically what that is, is called a quick change is one of the terms that are used. I put a video on Facebook recently that was within, it was during the month of February, within the last couple of weeks, two of them from people from CIA. One was essentially their disguise master evaluating things in TV shows and movies about disguises. And one of them, it's from a somewhat famous TV show, I think, where a girl, I think she's in an airport, gets off a plane, has on a wig, walks through, does a couple clothing changes and changes her appearance completely. That's what's called a quick change. It happens really rapidly. Just depends on what it is. Disguises don't take that much though. Like if you've never worn glasses or not around people wear glasses, you can put glasses on. If you can tell, they dramatically change your appearance. There's people that do small changes like that, like put on glasses and go talk to people that they know really well. And initially people don't realize it's them. And it shows you how easily your appearance 
can change the impression you have on somebody, which is really great because losing those glasses actually have a bigger effect. If you ever noticed yourself or even somebody else, they always, always wore glasses. And then when they took them off, you're like, oh my God, that's a different person. That's a more dramatic effect on your mind and memory than putting them on. That's why just wearing glasses is so effective. Not just changing that little interaction, but people probably can't pull you out of a lineup after the fact. Another one I got asked about was called a bird watcher. So I don't know if that term's even used anymore. That was a British term. It just meant a spy. That was just like a slang term that they used. I'm not sure how long ago that was. Black operations or black ops is not what people think it is that we see in movies and video games. It's the slang term for covert operations. That's all black op is. That's why you actually, in that world, you don't really hear those terms. Not in America anyway. It's not used. It's covert or clandestine. So to remember, covert is when the country or organization behind it goes unnoticed, not necessarily the operation. Clandestine means the mission goes unnoticed. The operation goes unnoticed, not necessarily who did it. Most intelligence work is clandestine, but there is definitely covert aspects to it. Most military stuff under what people call the umbrella of black ops, you know, black ops is just a made up slang term. More of it tends to be covert, but not necessarily clandestine. So if you look at like big operations like getting bin Laden flying into Pakistan with those helicopters, well, that whole helicopter crash thing didn't help. That was really a covert operation. Nobody's really going to question who did that. We would have got rolled up in that idea, even if they broadened it out to say the British were probably part of it too. It would have been known that it was American, but it was a clandestine operation because had it gone perfectly, we would have been in and out with nobody noticing or maybe a few people woke up and heard it, but that's about it. That would have been more of a clandestine operation. But black ops is just a slang term that means covert operation. Whoever's behind it goes unnoticed, but the operation doesn't have to. Operations can be both too, by the way. Another one I got was and I understand what they were writing. They want to know, is it said bona fides or bona fides? So it's two words. The second one is spelled F-I-D-E-S. In the dictionary, you can say it either way. Bona fides or bona fides is basically, think of it like your resume. It's not your resume, but it's, I need to check your bona fides or I need to check your bona fides. Basically, I need to check all the information on you to verify you're who you say you are and that it's all vetted and correct and accurate. It's just an official term that's used. Weird thing is, depending on the law enforcement or intelligence agency you're in, there seems to be a consistency on how they say the word, and some people get kind of asked up about which phrasing you use, but they're both correct. I typically say bona fides, but I know what it is when people say bona fides. It's kind of funny, though. You find people that say bona fides and never say bona fides. They get confused when you say bona fides. And the reason I tend to say bona fides is in military intelligence, that tends to be the phrasing that they use. But all it is is all that information on you that establishes who you are. So if you're in a cover status and they want to check your bona fides, they'd be checking all the information on your cover status to verify it's real. Now, that being said, how do they do that? There's another term. It's old. I don't know that this is used anymore. It's used in movies a lot. They call them the cobbler. I think there's another term too, basically a craftsman that makes things. And like in movies, that person is the guy that makes all your fake IDs. Like he's a forger. But at least in the last 25 years, probably longer, forgers aren't really used. So when you're in like, at least in Intel work, when you're in a cover status, all the documents and IDs and passports are all real. They're real and fake. So they're fake because it's a fake made up name. And that's about it. All the information on there doesn't really exist. But it's real not because they're forged. 
they make them using all the same stuff that's used to make the real ones. So if you have a United States passport, it's made exactly like United States passport. Same paper, same printer ink, all that stuff's exactly the same, made by people who know how to do it. So it's a real document. It's not a forgery. It can't be ID'd as a forgery because it's made exactly like the real thing. It's just the information in it is the made-up cover. And that was something established a long time ago. They got better at over time. And it constantly had to improve because of security to ensure people didn't get caught and could maintain their cover status. Another one I got asked this a long time ago was about camps, Camp X, Camp Swampy, and Camp Perry. So Camp Perry, you can actually look this up and find it because not everything's done there now and it's, I can't really get into it, but Camp Perry is a training facility essentially for people in the CIA. They're going to become case officers to keep it simple. That was a slang term for that location was Camp Swampy long time ago. I don't think anybody uses that anymore. They might. I don't know that Camp Perry, the name Perry existed when they called it Swampy. That might have just been like the cover made up name to not say Camp Perry. Camp X was in Canada. That was during World War II. So that's where the OSS went and trained Canadian and American forces. I don't know that Canada was part of the OSS. They might have had their own organization. There's documentaries on it, but that's where they went and trained. This was precursor to CIA, NSA. They trained all their skills before they went over into Europe and got involved in the war. And then there was also another group. I've been asked this before. It's SOE, Special Operations Executive. That was the British counterpart to the OSS, kind of like MI6, CIA. There was OSS, SOE, which actually leads into another term called Jedbergs. I'm not sure where that term come from. A Jedberg was a term in World War II. Jedbergs were not all SOE and OSS guys. They were specific OSS and SOE individuals that were put into Europe prior to the D-Day invasion to help organize resistance forces. So in that war, in that invasion anyway, in the invasion of Normandy, the people that went in even before Airborne and all this other stuff were intel guys, the equivalent of modern-day intelligence assets like CIA guys. They went in there early, which I don't know that history shows specifically how early. They went into different countries for however long they were there and started to organize or coordinate with existing resistance forces to fight the Nazis in Europe. The term chicken feed, I don't know that that's used anymore, and I don't know who all used it. I, there's other terms for it. So chicken feed was basically you would have an individual, whether or not they're a source or an asset, or they could be a suspected mole. So there's different ways to use it. The idea was you would feed them information. That's why it was called chicken feed. You would give them information, usually made up or not threatening information, and it was the stuff I'm familiar with had to do with people suspected of being a mole or like being a double agent. But then you suspect this guy is a double agent or reporting intel to country, whatever. So you'd give them this chicken feed that is controlled information that nobody else is giving anybody. It's completely made up. It's specific to this operation or mission. And then what you would see is, does the targeted country we think they're helping out, do they get obtain that information? So it was a way to establish the only way they could have got this information is from this guy. And I now know that he's definitely giving it to him. It was also used, or at least some definitions you see, I don't know that it was used this way, very well could have been, was to establish vulnerabilities of people to see what information they would give up or would they actually provide the correct information. I'm not exactly sure how that worked. 
I don't know that that's done anymore, especially with the advent of technology. But that's what that term was originally meant for was feeding bogus information was very specific. Nobody else had to see if it got passed on. And then, you know, that guy actually is the bad guy. And then you got him. I've been asked a lot of questions, too, on like uh, classified information, like how it's classified. But the one I want to point out, you see this in movies and TV shows a lot, is they'll get like a folder and it'll say eyes only. And I've been asked, like, what level of classification is that? So I don't know how much that's really used. I've seen cover, like, covers of some type that would go on that to say eyes only that I never saw anybody use. I found them in a supply room once. But the eyes only, what that was meant for, because it, you got to understand in any of this stuff you're seeing with your eyes, what it was meant for, it was to a specific person or a group of people, like a panel, essentially. It was meant solely only for them. So it didn't matter what your clearance was. I mean, your clearance plays in, but it, it wasn't like if you had a top secret clearance, you could see an eyes only document. It was meant specific for those people. I don't know that that's really used anymore. It probably is to some level, or it's probably understood that way under different terms. But that's kind of where that term comes from. One good one to point out that I don't think's ever been talked about or used was a Russian term, which meant nursemaid. And nursemaids were intelligence officers, that traveled with Russian citizens, usually like diplomatic envoys, even Olympic teams, they probably still do. Other people have to travel for different reasons. And a lot of this was during the Cold War. I don't know how much it still happens now. And if you read your history, especially with Olympic teams, you can see how this didn't work too well. But the idea was these intelligence officers would travel with Russian citizens who had to travel abroad like Olympics and diplomats in order to make sure nobody defected. And they were called nursemaids was kind of the same thing as like the term babysitter. We always see this in movies. Oh, you're here to babysit me. Babysitter was just a term that meant bodyguard. I don't know how often that was really used. Maybe it just kind of came about like, hey, I need you to babysit this guy. Basically, you're going to sit there and protect him. You know, in movies, it's always made out like it's a form of punishment or you're not good enough to do something else. But that's actually what a babysitter is a bodyguard. A nursemaid is somebody that's a, a type of guard. Whereas a, a babysitter is protecting a person from other people, the nursemaid is protecting the person essentially from themselves, the way they saw it anyway, from defecting from their country. You know, one that became kind of popular again was because of, uh, I don't know what the actress's name is. I think the movie was called Sparrow, where she's a Russian agent who basically uses seduction to get intel. I didn't see the movie. I assume that's what it's about because that's what a Russian Sparrow was. They were females trained to use seduction, which depending on the country and the ancient year, and there's classes on seduction techniques. I don't know how much they're still taught. But the sparrow was the female that would do that. What people, a lot of people don't realize is there was ones called ravens, and the ravens were the males who were doing the same thing. And those were Russian terms. It kind of falls along the idea of the honey trap or the honey pot. People always thought that was women. It wasn't. Seduction, especially now, would be trained for any males to seduce men and women, women to seduce men and women if needed. So the, the honey trap, though, the honey pot, whatever you call it, the idea actually was to, a trap. It was to put people in compromising positions in order to use that against them, like blackmail to get them to do things. That was the original design. It moved on from there. People always think it involves sex. It's not the case. That's the movies. I'm sure that's definitely happened. You know, in the movies, they're always like sleeping with somebody they drug their alcohol or they pass out or they take a shower and then the spy goes and looks in their briefcase or their computer or their phone or their documents. I'm sure things like that happened. But it's really just using seduction to either get information, put them in compromising positions. It could be used to blackmail them. 
Sometimes it could be used just as the way to get them from where you found them to another place so that you can approach them about working for you. It could be what you do to slowly develop them into an asset. I told a story once about females from China who had done this where one had actually, they had profiled a guy in college at the time. She ended up marrying this guy and having a family and it was a long-term mission she was running. And this guy eventually got into the agency and worked his way up to a very, what I'd call a decent or significantly high level in the agency before she got caught. So that's more along the lines of what the trap is. Doesn't always involve sex, but sometimes it does. One question was, are spy masters real? So to my knowledge, it's not an official term. It's like a made up term out of respect. There's even a documentary called spy masters. Sometimes they consider guys that grow up all the way through like the CIA and become the director of spy master. Some spy masters are marked as guys that have long careers of successful operation, working assets and sources. Just like the term master interrogator isn't real. I've been called that. It's an unofficial term by people I've worked with that I was called a master interrogator. In one instance of them explaining it, it was basically my ability to use different techniques so fluidly and make up stories and basically described it like it was more of an art firm and I was really good at it, whereas another one was based on the amount of work you've done. There was different reasons why they came up with that. I'm not known as a master interrogator. Like there's not a lot of people that know my name. You know, I don't have a big name like director of any intelligence agency. I'm just saying it's a made up term essentially that applies meaning. My look at it from the people that are usually called master interrogators or spy masters, it's more about their career and the respect for them and what they've done. So it's not like everybody calls me master interrogator. There's a few guys that do. It's not like everybody calls some former handler, officer, director, a spy master, but a lot of people do. It's just more about kind of their career than it is like a marked measurement of some sort of training. This question is, was the CIA actually ever called a company? Yes, it was. I don't think anybody does that anymore. I mean, the term's pretty much known, but especially during Vietnam, there was uh, CIA guys that would go over to Vietnam and they, I would work for the company, you know, and they'd wear civilian clothes. I don't know when that term went away or how often it was used, but that was a real term to refer to CIA. Oh, this question's about, is there a difference between terminating with prejudice and extreme prejudice? To my knowledge, honestly, the best I can recall, extreme prejudice was never used. I think that's all movies, which is funny. I go like, honestly, it's because I was thinking something else. Wasn't trying to be deceptive, but yeah, it's a, it's an unnecessary adjective. It's, Everything I know, at least the last 20 years, 25 years, is it's terminating with prejudice or without prejudice is what it is. Really, you just look up those two terms. You can kind of guess what it means. It's not something I can really get into. It's protected information, but it's not that significant. But extreme prejudice, no, I don't think so. They use that in movies basically because it means, oh, you're going to kill this guy. Now, maybe that term was used, but to my knowledge, it never was. It's just with prejudice or without prejudice. It's a way to terminate the relationship. Even in an interrogation, if you look at the written process of an interrogation, you go into this room every day with a guy. Well, at the end of every interrogation, you have a process called termination. It's how you close out that interrogation. doesn't mean you're not going to talk to him again next day, next week, or next hour, but it's called termination. So it's not always a bad thing. It doesn't always mean somebody's getting killed. It rarely means that, if ever, anymore. It's about terminating that relationship. So when I went to Iraq, the very first time I did any intel work, the company that was there before us had no idea. They were so stupid. They had hundreds of sources 
they should have terminated that they never did. And we actually had to spend almost three months cleaning up all these records and stuff where we didn't really get any intel because we had to terminate all these relationships officially and get them off paper. So people quit trying to get us to chase them down for one year old isolated information. We're never anything else on. So it's just a process of ending that working relationship. Oh yes. So this one canary trap. So I don't know if this is still used. It's an older term from what I recall. So canary trap, remember chicken feed, that was the information you're giving to somebody. So canary trap was the canary was that person you're getting the information to that you were suspected of basically being a bad guy. So I don't know where these terms overlap, especially with like the military sense, but in the Middle East for a while, and depending on the organization, a lot of people just don't know this, but we would classify people like on an objective, you go say round up five people or 50 people. We'd classify them by birth type. There'd be canaries, parrots, and crows. So canaries were known good guys. Crows were known bad guys. Parrots were unknown. So that kind of crosses over to why this was called a canary trap was the canary was that individual you were trying to trap. You were trying to see if they really were a bad guy. So they were a known good guy who could be a bad guy. So you'd give them chicken feed and a canary trap to see if, in fact, you got them. And just because you didn't get them doesn't mean they weren't a bad guy. But I don't know that that's used anymore. It's an older term from what I remember. One I should bring up too is double agent. Like one of the things you always see on movies and TVs is double agent is you got a guy, let's say you're the train spy working for the United States. So you're a single agent, not really a term, but you're working for one country. You go over and get turned by an enemy country and start working for them, collecting on us, but we don't know it. We think you're collecting on that enemy country. You're there for a double agent. That's how it's always sold in books and movies. The other thing, though, is I don't know if there's a term for it anymore. There's actually a type of operation. I don't know that it's done that much anymore with so much surveillance and technology. It probably could be, but there used to be a type of operation a long time ago where instead of that being done in a nefarious way, your mission could be to go to an enemy country and try to turn yourself over to them, identify who you are, whether it was a made-up cover, you're a real person, in order to say, hey, I want to spy for you guys. I think you're doing the right thing. And it was a way to look like a double agent, but you never actually were. I imagine they stopped doing that because it got too dangerous or too tempting for people. I don't think it's something that's done anymore. Yeah, so I've talked about tradecraft before on this question, but it's basically the methods. It's called the methods, the methodology or the methods used to commit espionage activities for spying, words like that that you'd be familiar with. So one of the things people that work in that type of role would say is a common phrase is sources and methods. The one thing we'd protect always is sources and methods. That's why sometimes I get careful about what I say, or like earlier I said, it's protected information, which means there is some sort of protection on it. I'm not specifying where for good reason, and that whether or not it's that important or innocuous, it's protected. So you're protecting sources and methods. Also protecting information falls in there too. That's all tradecraft have is the things they do. Tradecraft's been expanded kind of over time. Like there's analysts call it analytical tradecraft. It's probably fair in the sense of certain types of technology they're using that other people don't have access to, although that's always been the case. Tradecraft was traditionally meant for people that were legit spies, clandestine, covert officers committing those actions. Kind of like the term operator in SOCOM. So many people call themselves operators now, and I really... And I mean this in all fairness, giving guys a pat on the back that are like, say, Rangers or something, or even Green Berets, say I'm not an operator. 
just the traditional meaning operator only comes from one place. There is a place where there is a school called the operator training course. You finish, you're an operator. It's like if you go through the seal pipeline and finish budge and all that, you're called a seal. You go to ranger school, you're called a ranger. You go to special forces qualification course, you graduate, you're Green Beret. But people started kind of broadening that term operator to mean other things in almost any white soft unit, which pisses a lot of people off. Some of them think it's not a big deal. I think it's a respect issue, and I think you should be proud of your accomplishments. You should respect others. That's just me, but that's kind of where tradecraft goes the same way. Tradecraft's a little different, though, because it's fair to say in some aspects there are things that are considered methodology specific to that world that nobody else has. But I fall back to that's always been true. Like texting is an everyday thing now, but 30 years ago, texting was a method of covert, essentially, or clandestine communication using the intel world on computers before cell phones existed or we knew cell phones existed. So it kind of depends on your point of view on it. But anyway, that's a few basic terms that come from stuff. There's another one I was trying to find that actually people think is fake is real. It's uh, it's the name of an organization that counterintelligence Russia. They only did it for like two and a half years. They were made popular in the James Bond books that were written by, uh, oh, what's his name that actually worked in Intel for the British. But they were real. They were just played up in that book, but they only existed for a couple of years. So there are terms like that that are in books that people think are fake because they're in a book, but they actually did exist. Maybe the story about them is fake, but there's plenty of terms like that. Most of the terms are old. Most any term or terminology like that that you use now is unknown outside of the community or protected. A lot of times they just use the straight up phrase for it. Like there was a term that had to do with, it's not really used anymore, but essentially what it meant was counter surveillance, but we just say counter surveillance now. So we kind of simplified some things. But a lot of those terms are known. There's plenty of others. But that was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember next time you're watching some movie or something like that, look this stuff up and see if there's any real history to it. And then we'll be here again for you shortly right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.